Thank you, Curtis and team. We appreciate you guys so much leading us and giving us the opportunity to worship our great God. It is such a privilege for me to be able to work with the team and um, just be part of the team on these mornings like this. So, Curtis, thank you so much. God bless you, my friend. And it's a privilege to work with Jasmine as well. Yes. Jasmine and I communicate the week that I'm going to be speaking. I'll send her my notes ahead of time. And I got thinking about that the other day, that that's such a good thing because, you know, if partway through the service something happens to me, Jasmine can just step up and take over. She's got all the notes. She knows everything. So that would be exciting, wouldn't it, Jazz? Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, we do want to welcome you here. My name is Russ Wilson, and um, Steve was very kind to me earlier. Uh, this is my home church, even though I'm a very poor attender of this church, and so it is a delight anytime I get to be part of it. I travel for a living. I work with a small association of churches called the Associated Gospel Churches of Canada, and uh, there's about 150 of them across the country and around 50 here in Western Canada, and my job is to travel and visit with them, do what I can to help pastors and churches and leaders to... Uh, be all that God is calling us to be. And so uh, even though there aren't any here in Kelowna, Willow Park Church is my home here in Kelowna, and so it's a very great privilege for me to call this my home. And you guys are blessed to have a church like this and to be part of a a church like this. And so thankful for Pastor Phil and uh, that he's up in Watson this weekend and just, uh, again, sharing God's word and hearing the good news about 18 people who came to faith this past week. That's just great stuff. And you guys are part of that. And so I want to encourage you and say that uh, we don't have enough churches like this And I think I know what I'm talking about because of my travels. We don't have enough churches where we're just continually praying and seeing people come to faith. And so keep it up. Keep it up. I want to encourage you in that to pray and support your leaders and your church family and uh, your pastors as they continue to do the work that God is calling them and us as a church family to do. And so communicating the good news of Christ is so crucially important in the nation in which you and I find ourselves living as we celebrate this Canada Day. Um. Let me pray for us, and then we'll uh, dive into uh, our passage this morning as we look at um, what God has for us. But let me pray for us first. Heavenly Father, we do celebrate you this morning. We worship you, God. You are the one who is worthy of our affections, of our hearts, of our minds, engaging and understanding who you are so that we can clearly worship you. You are worthy, Father. And so we just bow before you this morning and we thank you that we don't have to perform some kind of religious exercise with the hope that you'll be here. We can claim the truth of your word where you tell us that when two or three gather together in your name, you are in the midst of them. And so we claim that this morning, Father, that we're not going to say some kind of special formula or religious words to get you here. You are here right now. That's amazing. And it's true. And so because you're here, Father, we invite you to speak clearly to us as we open up your word. And we ask for that. I ask for it, Lord, that you would help me. I ask for those of us who are listening that you would help us to be able to hear what you want from your word about you and then your call to us through your word this morning. And so, Lord, we trust you, we love you, we worship you, and we look forward to what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. As I mentioned, I travel with this uh, association of churches, and recently we went through an exercise where our president was retiring, and we were having a new president come in, and so I followed the the process very closely, because I report directly to the president, and so I had sort of a vested interest in knowing who was going to be my new boss. 
And so uh, they went through the process, they journeyed it, and, uh, and finally we came to that point when we were selecting him and we voted and all that kind of good stuff. And then we had a conference and I was asked to speak at the conference on the issue of leadership as we made this transition from one leader to another. And, and so my heart and my thoughts went back to Deuteronomy 31 where we have this story of this guy named Moses who is um, going to pass off of the scene and, and the nation of Israel is going to see someone new come in and take over and his name is Joshua. And so as I was studying for that, I came across this quote that I was reading about leadership, and it said that uh, leadership is an oval track. So you think about a race, you know, the racers run around a track, and they, there's a starting point and a finishing point, and they go around and around however many laps they're going to go. But I thought about that just from a practical day-to-day standpoint, and I thought, well, life's actually like that. We all have sort of daily responsibilities that we're called to do and, uh, and be part of, and so whether it's daily, weekly, monthly, There's these things that happen over and over and over again. And sometimes our schedules get upset. Sometimes our routines get disturbed. But there are some things in the midst of that that we need to remember. And I think this passage in in Deuteronomy 31 calls us to a a point that God wants us to clearly understand this morning. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy 31. We'll throw it up on the screen as well. But Deuteronomy 31, verses 7 and 8, there's this story where... Um, as I said, Moses is passing off the scene. Joshua is going to take over. And let's just read these couple of verses here. And we'll start off with verse 7. It says, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel. Now let's just stop there. I like to use my imagination when I'm reading the scriptures and try to kind of go back sort of in time to see that picture and imagine what it was like. And so the nation of Israel has been called together because they know that Moses is going to be done. And there's been this process whereby Joshua has been selected to be the next leader. And so at that point in time, whenever that was, it says Moses summons Joshua. And it's like he was out there in the congregation and yells, Joshua, come on up here. And I just imagine what that must have been like. As Joshua is the perhaps nervous new leader that's going to step into this role and this responsibility of looking after the nation of Israel. And Moses knows that, that this is the guy. God has designed all this. This is part of his plan But he also knows that the people probably aren't entirely comfortable with what's happening. Why? Well, I think if most of us are honest, we just humanly don't really much care for change. We get comfortable in our circumstances, in our routines. And when those change, it's like, well, what's going to happen? What's going to be different? How's it going to play out? What's it going to be like? And so Moses has some actual words for Joshua, and as he speaks to Joshua, he's going to be speaking to the nation as well. Now look what it says. So in the presence of all Israel, he's got Joshua up there beside him, and he says to him, Joshua, be strong, be courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. So he gives them the responsibility that they're going to go and do. And then verse 8, it says, the Lord himself, and here's the promise, He goes before you, and he will be with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Wow. What a great thing for a great leader to do for both the person who's going to be taking over from him, but as well for the people to sort of calm them down with the understanding that, yes, there is change happening right now, but there's one thing that's not going to change. And that's the presence of God. Wow. 
such great words that Moses gave to Joshua. Now, as we carry on in that passage, we're going to get to uh, chapter 32, where Moses ends up saying that he's got this song that he wants uh, the nation and he wants Joshua to hear as well. And then if we carry on in chapter 32 and go to verse 44 to 47, we see Moses giving this instruction with as well to Joshua. So it says, Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of the song that God had given him in the hearing of the people. So I assume that Moses sang the song. And then it says, when Moses recite, finished reciting all these words to all Israel, he said to them, now listen to this, Take to heart all the words that I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children. So he's speaking to the adults here. He says, now listen to what I've already shared with you, and I want you to command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. So he's telling them to pass this on to future generations. Good discipleship instruction even here in the Old Testament. And then look at verse 47. This is the passage that I want you to remember as we go through the message this morning. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. So Moses gives this word that he says is from God to the people. He says, I want you to understand something. These aren't just idle words. Keep that in the back of your mind as we process this passage this morning and think about what God's got for you and I as we remember the promise from Deuteronomy 31 verse 8 that I'm never ever going to leave. So that's the truth. So there's just two things I want us to remember this morning. The first of all is this truth that God gives to us in this passage, that all throughout the the time that he has uh, had us as humans on this planet called Earth, it's a promise that he has never, ever rescinded. He's never changed. And the truth is that God does not leave us. Ever. No matter what. And and so as I thought about that, I wondered, you know, is is this uh, something that seems to be important to God? Well, I, I think it is. Now... A few months ago, I had the opportunity to speak to a, a men's retreat in, in Manitoba, and it was a, a winter retreat, and uh, guys had come from all over uh, Manitoba for this retreat, and, and they came with Bibles and pens and papers, and they sat at these tables, and, and we started on Thursday night, went through to Sunday morning, and throughout the, evening, the weekend, I got to meet this guy named Harold, who, who, as he told me in little bits and pieces his story, it was a heartbreaking story. His story was that uh, he was married, had several small children, and and uh, loved the Lord, and went to church regularly, and one day he's just uh, backing his car out of his driveway, and he runs over his neighbor's child, five-year-old boy, kills him. And Harold is devastated by this experience. It was just an early morning accident. And Harold didn't cope well with the situation. And he went into a depression just trying to, to... understand and, and yet not really grasping what had transpired and what he could do about it and how he couldn't fix it. And, and so ultimately, even though Harold had never been involved in this before, he, he started to drink. And he told me the story that that just seemed to deaden the pain for him, that he, he would be able to go to sleep and not feel the pain of what had happened. And the days turned into weeks and the weeks turned into months and the months turned into years and, and, and Harold kept on drinking. And, and one day he met a woman at the bar and they ended up in an affair Another mistake. And ultimately his wife found out and, and their marriage fell apart. And his kids were so angry at their dad for what he'd done to mom that, that they didn't want to have anything to do with him. And years went by and, and Harold struggled to, to try and 
find answers in his faith and struggled there, but then finding answers in other places that weren't really answers, but they're just deadening the pain. And, and so he told me his whole story over the process of, of these days, and, and I just was grieved at how sad of a story it was. And so I asked him, you know, what's happened recently? And he said, well, he says, I, I've finally reconnected with a couple of my kids. And he says, and, and, um, but I said, I, I just, I'm so useless, he said to me. And I said, Harold, no, you're not useless, man. God loves you passionately. And you see, there's this passage in the Bible that speaks to how much he loves you because he says in this promise that I'm never, ever going to leave you. He said, yeah, but I, that may be true about God, but I, I'm so useless. I, look what I've done. I've wrecked everything. And I said, Harold, there's this incredible God who will forgive you, and he just wants to walk with you and you to walk with him. And, and so we prayed together and spent some time together. And, and he said, thanks, this has really helped. And so we said goodbye on Sunday, and, and I had to go to Toronto for some meetings, and I'm in these meetings, and all of a sudden my phone vibrates, and I look, and I see that it's the camp director from where I just went been. And, and so I take my phone out, I excuse myself from the meeting, and I go out into the hallway and answer the phone, and the guy says, Russ, do you remember Harold from the weekend? I said, yeah, I had lots of talks with him. He goes, yeah. He says, this morning at 2 o'clock in the morning, he had a massive heart attack and died. I thought, wow, what an incredible privilege for me to intersect with his life on that weekend and point him back to the truth of a God who says, I will never ever leave you nor forsake you. A God who offers forgiveness and restoration in the midst of our brokenness if we'll accept it and walk with him. This idea that God has for us is something that seems to be really, really important to him. And so I began to just flip through other passages of Scripture, and, and it came to Joshua 1, verse 9, after Joshua takes over. And God says to him, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so there's another promise that God reiterates to Joshua and to the people. And then I, I was looking in the Psalms and came across Psalm 73, verses 23 to 25. And, and the psalmist says, yet I'm always with you. And then he talks about God. He says, you hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. And he wraps up the verses by saying this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. And then we got to Psalm 23, and, and I was so taken by, by what the psalmist said there. And let me read it to you, because I think if we read it through the eyes of the promise that God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, it may even change how we understand Psalm 23. Let me listen, or let, just listen to me as I read the passage. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, I don't know if you know much about the idea of shepherding, but the little bit that I know is that you don't do that from a corporate office somewhere. Shepherd are with the sheep, aren't they? They're there all the time with the sheep. And so the psalmist says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Listen to the personalness of the presence of God through Psalm 23. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even when I go through those hard times, those broken times, those difficult times, God says through this passage, I will fear no evil, the psalmist says, for you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God thinks this is an important thing that he wants to continue to remind us about. 
in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, when God gives us the, the call to go and make disciples, what does it say at the very end of it when Jesus is speaking to those men who are going to go and do this work? He says, I want you to remember one more thing. I'm going to be with you. So he calls them to go and do what he's asked them to do, to go and make disciples. And he says, and I want you to know this. I will be with you to the very end of the age. His presence will never, ever leave, is what he promises us there. So just a, a brief overview of a few different passages of Scripture. It's like God wants to say over and over and over again, Old Testament and New Testament, I want you to know this. I will never leave you. And I suspect that there are some of us here this morning that at times, and perhaps even right now, question that truth because of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But I want to point you back to the truth of God's word that this is about his character. And he does not change and he will not retract his promises that whatever you're going through, as the psalmist said, even though we're going through the valley of the shadow of death, God says, I'll be there with you. I'll be there with you. It's important to God. So as I process that promise from Deuteronomy 31 and other passages of Scripture, I finally got to the point that, yeah, it's clear that God, this is a big deal for God. And so I asked the question on the other side, well, what's, what's our responsibility in this? What's God sort of expecting of us, knowing that he's promised that I'm always going to be there for you? So I, I was reading in Galatians and, and came across the verses in Galatians chapter 5 where, where we see Paul talking about the, the life in the flesh and the life in the spirit. And, and so follow along here on the screen again as we read these verses and just understanding the difference between walking in the spirit and walking in the flesh. And so verse 16 of Galatians 5, So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want, but, you are, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. So there's Paul's going to point out the difference. He says it's clear. There's sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage... Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And Paul says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now we get to the good stuff. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and there's nine different fruits here, which are important for us to think through when we're saying, okay, how do I know if I'm actually being walking by the Spirit or not? Well, here's some great indicators. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now look at verse 25. This is the key answer to the question, okay, what does God expect of us? Since we live by the Spirit, in other words, our life, when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit on an ongoing basis in our lives. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's the answer right there. So our call then is to stay in step with the Spirit of God. 
So the question obviously comes, well, how do, how do I know that? Well, men, go back to the fruits of the Spirit, those nine different fruits that are listed there. And so, you know, it's just some basic sort of things you can think through day by day. And so you're driving in your car and someone cuts you off on 33 here and, and you say some words that are not fruit-bearing words. You know right then that you're not in step with the Spirit. That wasn't God speaking through you to that individual in the other car. That was you in your flesh saying what had frustrated you about that moment. So then you simply say, God, I'm sorry. I, I was kind of walking the wrong way there, so I want to get back in step with your spirit. And so day by day by day, all day long, we want to stay in step with the spirit of God. And we can continue to ask ourselves, am I living in those fruit-bearing ways? But the invitation alone is quite amazing, I think. I did a, a, just a quick arc over the scriptures again thinking through the fact that, you know, Galatians 5.25 says, since we live by the Spirit, then stay in step with the Spirit. It's like God gives us this invitation every single day of our lives that isn't gender-based, age-based, experience-based, education-based, privilege-based, or anything else. It's based upon our having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you and I have that relationship with Jesus Christ, then think about this for a moment. Every single day, God invites you to walk with him. Stay in step with the Spirit. That's what it means. Walk with me. I, I thought about that and I thought, you know, that's quite amazing that the God who created these worlds that we live in, who spoke things into existence, the story of Genesis tells us, invites us to come and walk with him. The God who met with Job after Job had questioned what God was doing and asks them this question in Job 38. Who is this, God says, that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man and I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. And he goes on to list all the things about just the footings and how he kept the sea behind certain doors, how he fixed limits for it, um, how he said, uh, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? And he goes on to talk about the storehouses of snow and hail and all kinds of things. And I got thinking about that, that out of Genesis 1 and Job 38 and on, there's this God who has this incredible creative power that says to you each and every morning of your life, come walk with me. Wow. A God who called this couple Abram and Sarai, who eventually had their names changed to Abraham and Sarah, and told them that he was going to make them a great nation that didn't exist yet, and he just asked them to trust him. And we know the story, if we've read the scriptures at all, that, that they didn't trust him fully and, and made their own way. And God said, no, no, hang on a second. You don't understand Trust me. And they said, yeah, but you don't understand, God. Our bodies are now past the ability to do what you've called us to do, to have children. They were childless. And God says, clearly you don't understand me. And that same God who did the the miraculous with Abraham and Sarah invites you and I each and every day to walk with him. 
In Exodus 14, the man Moses that we started off this message with has to lead the nation out of Egypt. And they get to the Red Sea and it's an impossible situation. They cannot solve the problem. And God says, trust me. And it says that he separated the Red Sea with wall of water on each side miraculously by his divine power. And the Bible says in Exodus 14 that they walked through on dry ground with a wall of water on each side. That same God says to you and I this morning, come walk with me. Remember what we read in Deuteronomy when Moses said to Joshua, these aren't just idle words. These are words of life. The first Samuel, Israel finally got the king that they wanted, but it didn't work out very well for them, and so they were going to choose another king, and God sends the prophet Samuel off to the house of Jesse and says, hey, one of your sons is going to be the next king, and Jesse's quite pleased, and so he takes his oldest and brings him in, and And God whispers to Samuel, it's not the guy. And he keeps on going son after son after son. And there's seven sons that go by and none of them are the right one. And so finally Samuel looks at Jesse and says, do you have any more? And he says, well, I've got a runt. He's out in the field. And Samuel says, go get him. And he brings him in. And God whispers to Samuel, that's the next king of Israel. And he wasn't physically impressive like his seven older brothers, but what was impressive about him was that he had a heart that hungered for his God. And it could be that you and I, we woke up this morning and we looked to the mirror, and what we reflected back at ourselves in that mirror was someone that we think it's quietly to ourselves, I'm not really that big of a deal. I'm not that impressive. I'm not that well-known. There's hardly anybody who even knows who I am. I tell you this morning... I don't care how many people know you. You see, there's this God who knows you, and he looked at you this morning, and he invited you an invitation, and he said, come and walk with me today. That's amazing. There's this great story in 2 Kings 6 where Elisha is a, a, a servant who... Um, doesn't understand some things. And so the king of Aram is all upset with Elisha because he's been thwarting his plans. And so he sends uh, troops to the city of Dothan where Elisha is hanging out that particular day and they're going to capture Elisha. And so the servant of God goes out early in the morning, looks and he says, and the whole city is surrounded with horses and chariots that the king has sent to capture Elisha. And he goes back in and he says, my Lord, what are we going to do? And Elisha prays and says, God, can you open his eyes so that he can see And the servant goes back out again and he looks out and he sees that there are horses and chariots of fire surrounding the city. And there are more who are with us, Elisha tells him, than there are are against us. That same God in 2 Kings, these are not just idle words. These aren't some fancy stories that are made up by someone. These are the truth about who our God is. That same God who hasn't changed one iota looks at you this morning and says, come walk with me today. That's an amazing invitation that each and every day of your life is there for you. And what your call is is to simply accept it and say, God, I've got nothing better on my agenda today than to walk with you. You see, there's a promise. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then there's an invitation. God says, take today and come walk with me. We never know where it's going to lead us. A few years ago, I had the privilege of having a missionary in our home when we lived in Saskatoon, and 
He had started a mission down in Brazil, and his mission was based on an idea that he would only go to places that you could get to by water. If you could fly in or drive in, he wasn't interested. And so he invited me down, ultimately, to come and see the mission work that he was doing. And so flew down with a friend, and we went for 10 days and toured on boats going up rivers and along the Atlantic coast to see the work that Marcio Garcia was doing. And one particular day, we beached the boat, and uh, we were to walk into a village about an hour's walk or so, and we got in there, and it was like a National Geographic kind of experience, and, and when we arrived, uh, they told us as we assembled and talked to people that this, we were the first non-Brazilian people to ever be in that village. I thought, wow. And Marcio had a philosophy, and still has a philosophy to this day, that when a church is established in any location, their call then is to go deeper into the jungle and tell the next village about Jesus Christ. And so the mission leader is telling me about how she had done that a few different times, and each time that she'd been to that next village, which was deeper into the jungle, she'd been stoned. In my North American naivety, I looked at her and I said, are you going back? And we're speaking through an interpreter, and she speaks back through the interpreter, and she says, Russ, I have to go back, because no one has yet accepted Jesus Christ. And she sensed that that was being in step with the Spirit of God to go back to a place that was going to risk her life so that people could hear about Jesus Christ. I thought, wow. I was amazed to hear the, the hunger and the desire to stay in step with the Spirit of God. And that night I'd been asked to share a devotional and, and I felt so unprepared because of the life and lifestyle that these women were living. And so I just prayed and said, God, I don't know what to say. And so I just finished a series at my church on John 3, 16. And so I thought I'll just share some of the thoughts from that. And so I shared about how much God loves us from John 3, 16. As I'm talking, the the mission leader, who's about 30 years of age, she begins to cry. And and, uh, and then I see that she's gone beyond crying to she's weeping. And and, uh, then her body starts to convulse. and, And she's sobbing out loud. And I think, I've done something horribly wrong in my communication. I probably offended her culturally. And so I think I've I got to get Marcia to go and talk to her so I can ask for forgiveness. So I talked to Marcia, and he said, yeah, I watched the whole thing, Russ. He said, I'll go and talk to her. He said, I'll call you over. So he calls me over briefly, and he says, Russ, you don't have to apologize for anything. She just wants you to know what, what happened tonight. And so she tells me her story and how she was overwhelmed by the love of God that he would bring someone into a village where no non-Brazilian had ever been before in their history, from a place that I asked them to pronounce Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and they couldn't do it. (laughs) Shocking. And she said, God brought someone from a place that I can't pronounce via an airplane, cars, and finally a boat, and then we walked into the village. And she said, I firmly believe that the whole reason that you're here today is because God wanted to remind me of how much he loves me. I cried then. Thinking that when I accept that invitation day by day to put my hand in his and say, I want to walk with you, God. I never know where that journey is going to take me. And you may say here this evening or this morning that, "Ah, well, I'm not like you. I'm not going to these other places. No, but day by day in your everyday lives, you and I do not know what God's got yet in store for us If we'll accept that invitation that he gives to you as he did this morning, come walk with me. It's amazing. It could be that though you hear these words, you're still struggling. 
I invite you to ask God to confirm this again to you through his word. Ask him to forgive you for your lack of belief in this truth. And then by faith say, God, I want today to walk with you each and every step that I've got to take. Let me pray for us, and as I pray, the team will come back up, and we've got a great song that we're going to wrap up with, where again, we focus our attention back upon the greatness of our God, but let me just lead us in prayer as we do that. Father, you are amazing, that there's this invitation that comes day by day by day that you invite us to come and walk with you. I am blown away by the truth of that, God. And for those of us this morning who may be here and struggle with that, thinking that, well, somehow we're not important enough or significant enough, Lord, I pray that you would overcome that lie, because that's a lie from the enemy, who wants us to believe that somehow we're insignificant, and that you would find in us this morning a willingness to receive this truth, and by faith then to say, God, I accept your invitation to walk with you this day. And I want to journey with you each and every day as we move forward. And may this be a summer, Father, as we start this July 1st, that through these coming months, that we truly do learn what it means to accept that invitation and say, God, today I'm yours. I'm going to walk with you all day, no matter what. And I look forward to what you've got in store as I journey with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.